what's up other human beings of planet earth and unless you're an alien and not a human being but i don't know if aliens listen to podcasts and i don't know if aliens exist and i don't know how that works but so let's just assume you're a human being so what's up other human beings of planet earth welcome to the mike mantel podcast i welcome you and thank you for joining truly so today's guest is a lady named Shasta Nelson. And man, it was a great time talking with Shasta. She's like so, on the, just like up front, she's just so charismatic and like fun and sociable. And like she just has really good social skills. And then on top of that, she's has some like incredible wisdom, expertise, and knowledge in the domain of friendships and like building a, a social network with multi-layered friendships. And I find that to be so fascinating, like social networks, network theory, friends i love friends and like friendships is such a cool topic area and it's so cool to like dive in that with her and i also found her interesting because she used to be a pastor and used to be of christian faith and to the extent of my knowledge no longer is so i was just interested in that uh what that journey was like for her and i originally met shasta from a guy peter rubin peter rubin's an awesome dude by the way too he's calls himself a business midwife and helps people launch businesses which is really cool but anyways peter knew that i was into friendship and friends and so he just recommended i check out shasta's work and i did and i was like damn this lady is dope and so i decided to have her on the show and i'm super grateful that she had a conversation because she's great and if you like this podcast or like this episode i would be so grateful if you would go to itunes and give this podcast the mike mantel podcast five stars and or write it a review that would make me really happy and i would feel good and uh i really believe in uh, the people that i'm talking to and trying to get their wisdom out there too so i'm offering a trade i forgot to say too i'm offering a trade so if you do send me either a five star rating or a write a review and it feels in alignment with you let me know and write me a Facebook message and I will check out your Facebook page and I will write you a sincere compliment to the best of my ability and heart and kindness because I think complimenting is an art form and I would love to practice it on you because um, it feels great to be complimented too. It's nice. <laughs> yeah. So cool. So without further ado, folks, check out Shasta Nelson. All right. I'll see you in there, baby. What's been just occupying your contemplation recently? Hmm, that's a good place to dive in. Well, it always has something to do with relationships. That's always what I'm scheming on and thinking about and going to bed thinking about, <laughs> keeping me up thinking about. But yeah, I think the biggest switch to that, if I had to get a little bit more narrow and specific, is that the last several years, I've been focusing more on writing and speaking and training to the people. And I've been feeling more, I kind of had this big epiphany. <laughs> it's kind of a growing epiphany, but I was on the airplane like March 3. And yeah, it had this huge, like, awareness that just kind of landed on me that I really need to be lifting my gaze up and starting to teach and train teachers and trainers and, you know, like therapists and, co and uh, coaches and healers and teachers and pastors and educators and really starting to help put other resources in their hands. So I'd say like when you ask what I'm thinking about, it's like constantly 
Like, what does that look like? And who am I being called to reach right now? And what does that look like to be training other people to do the connecting as opposed to always doing the connecting myself? And what do, yeah, just kind of thinking, what does it look like if we're teaching a college student versus if I'm putting this in the hands of a third grade teacher? And so, yeah, it's been somewhere when you, when you ask me what I'm thinking about, chances are high that it might land somewhere under that umbrella. For, for one, I think it's, I feel like so many um, epiphanies happen on airplanes. I feel like like 50% of epiphanies are on airplanes. I know. I love, I, I always, I always have a little slightly like, oh, I wish they didn't have Wi-Fi on airplanes. I hope they never let us talk on the phone. Like there's something powerful about just kind of being locked in this uh, space and time that's cool. But yeah. I guess on an airplane, you're always coming from somewhere to somewhere and like often either on the way to transformation or coming back from transformation. So true. So true. Often at kind of decisive moments where you see yourself in a different way and in a different place with different people. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious when you talk about teaching teachers, what type of, um, what exactly are you looking to invoke? I don't know if that's the right word, but invoke through teaching teachers. Well, it's really come because people have been reaching out to me. And so, I mean, I get an email from somebody who's like, I've been using your work in my college course, just wanted to let you know. And then I've had somebody else reach out and say, I'm trying to figure out how to translate this to third graders. And do you have like some ideas of what words do you use? And and I have therapists, I've had several, many therapists write me asking like this, honestly, the, the need to make friends, like the loneliness is probably, many therapists have written and said, quite honestly, there's not a single person who comes into my office where this isn't an issue we need to address at some point in some way. And like, do you, I can give them your book, but like, what else does that look like? And so I actually have a lot of them kind of reaching out, I, I, pastors reaching out and saying, you know, people come to us hoping that they can just step into an instant community in our church. And yet we still have to deal with all the same, we're still the same humans outside that are inside. And just because you walk through these doors doesn't make us instantly friends. And what does that look like? How can you teach that in our church? And so it's been an interesting, uh, I mean, even like a business setting, quite honestly, Mike, like I have companies reaching out now and saying, you know, we see on this Gallup research that uh, people need to have a best friend at work in order to want to stay working there and to feel more engaged and we need to have friendships there. And yet we're so scared of friendship and like, what does that look like? And how would you come in and encourage friendship, but do it in a way that doesn't, uh, you know, we don't want the picture everyone just standing around socializing and talking and drama and competition and all this stuff. And so I think it's just having so many different people coming to me, needing to translate it into different audiences and different people. And me just being very clear that I'm, I'm probably not the best. I'm not, I'm definitely not the best translator to go speak to men, for example. That's another one. I have so many people saying men need this. And I'm like, I know I'm doing so much research on it. And I love sitting in a room. I do, I've done big men's groups and I love that. And yet I would rather equip and train and mentor some men to go do that for men because they can speak in a voice that's different than mine. And I'd rather train up third grade teachers to go do that than to me go be the third grade person that does that. So I think it's just really getting clear like what my contribution is and like how my work is resonating. But that doesn't mean that I'm the best person to go translate it and take it to every audience and figure out the right applications for different people, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, that makes a ton of sense. And that was really cool to hear you describe because I was just imagining like, I don't know, you have some everybody has some vision of like how they want the world to be in some capacity. And while I don't know you specifically, I assume it has something to do with people having really healthy networks of friends of different degrees and a sense of community, which empowers people to give their best self to the world. And it was cool to hear you talk about that because instead of like you being the one to create that sense of vision, it's like you're zooming out 
and then like giving that vision to other people to like disseminate into their worlds. Yes, yes. And I've, you know, when you say it that way, I've always been like that. Like 10 years ago, I started a website that was, well, girlfriendcircles.com, but I started it back in the day and it was like a match.com for female friendship. And all the other sites at the time were basically, you would have like a person and a person through all these social events in the local area and everybody would come to these events. And I was very clear early on, like, I do not want all these relationships based on me. Like, I don't want to be the person that if I'm not at the event, it won't work. You know, like, I don't want them coming. Like, I don't, I don't want to be the center of them connecting. Like I want them, I want people in Kentucky to be Kentucky to, to be connecting with each other. It has nothing to do with Shasta. You know, like my bigger passion is like, yes, I want to provide the opportunities. Yes. I want to provide the training. I, I believe in my research. I want to be- provide structure, but yeah, you nailed it. Like, I don't want to be the, I don't want to, I, I don't want this all dependent on me. Like I'd rather <laughs> give what I give in my contribution and know that so many other people have stronger, different, better voices and contributions that could make this even more effective. And I'm very clear on that. <laughs> One thing I was also wondering in hearing you describe all of that is um, just this sense of wondering about your personal like journey of purpose. Um, and I guess I'm wondering about that because I'm on a personal journey of purpose also. And I mean, as is everybody, regardless of how they relate to it. And I just, I've heard you mention that you've been a pastor in the past and then now moving into friendship, and then now moving into um, friendship in a different way. And it's interesting, like, watching these, like, evolutions uh, move forward. But I guess the thing I'm wondering is, regardless of what stage you've been in of your sense of purpose evolution, has it always felt like you're just as tuned in as any other stage? Or as you're, like, moving along the path, like, do you feel now more tuned into your sense of purpose than you did when you were a pastor or whatever? Uh. That's such an insightful question. And it's so interesting because, so when I was a pastor, the language that I was brought into that world was that we were called to be a pastor. And so there was this sense of calling and like, that was your purpose. And I, they, those two got really confused. So when I no longer was a pastor, I felt like I had quote, like lost my calling. And, um, and so in that sense, transitioning from being a pastor to transitioning to being a coach and going into the friendship world, they felt like completely disparate. And I did not see the connection between the two, probably for like two years. I mean, it was probably two years before I suddenly was like, oh my goodness, I am doing the exact same thing in a different context. (laughs) But it took a while. Now, I think because I understand in my brain, the difference between like what I would call a calling versus a role or a job. And so I would say my calling is to connect people. And now I can look back on my entire life and say, as a pastor, that was my job. That was one vehicle I used to connect people at that time. And then I changed as a life coach and that was a vehicle or a job role or that I used to connect people. And then I did girlfriend circles and that was one other way that I connected people. And now I write books and I speak and I train and so I think now going forward, it'll be, and I would like to think that now I can make those transitions much more effortlessly without, because I know my, I'm very clear on what I'm here on this planet to do. And I'm very clear that I can let go of any one of these. Like a couple of years ago, I was deciding, should I quit girlfriend circles? And people were like, oh my goodness, you can't do that. That's your baby. And I was like, no, I'm very clear that that's not my calling. That's one expression of my calling that at a certain time I lived out, but I'm very clear the difference between my calling now versus underneath that, all the different ways I might express that calling at different times, if that makes any sense. So for me, being a pastor was one expression. And now I can say that toolbox is not the best toolbox for me to do what I want to do right now with who I am. 
And hopefully I can kind of go back and like switch out jobs and roles without it shaking who I am because I'm very clear on my calling. But I'm not sure I would have seen that my whole life going. It's easier in hindsight. Dude, totally. (laughs) That is such a beautiful uh, distinction between calling in. I don't know what the other thing would be. Maybe like missions or projects or something like that. Yeah, certain different jobs we take on to do that, you know? So, yeah. Was there a moment... Like, it sounds like it was after you had moved on from being a pastor, but was there a moment where you had clarity that that like the pieces came together where it's like, oh shit, my calling is to bring people together? Yeah. I mean, I can look backwards now and say, un- undoubtedly, what attracted me to being a pastor was I looked around my world at that time and the idea of a place where people come together every single week for personal growth and like spiritual development and wanting to make a difference in the world and for being in a community together, like undoubtedly, that was my attraction. Uh, of course, once you're in there, it looks a little bit more like we the way that it was often put on me in a church is like, are you making sure everybody believes the right thing and you can only baptize them? And like suddenly there's a whole different focus that's like not necessarily all about like community and us making a difference in the world and worrying about personal growth. So for me, stepping out of that world, I still am just as passionate about spirituality and personal growth. I mean, those are like those are core through my body. But I love doing it uh, with a little bit more of the freedom and the autonomy of not having to have it look a certain way or everybody uh, be so homogenous in their beliefs and stuff like that. And yeah, it was, but it wasn't a couple of years later that I was able to say all personal growth happens in relationship. So you can read a book on boundaries and feel like you're growing, but it's only in relationship that you get to practice setting those boundaries. You can listen to an inspiring sermon on forgiveness, but it's only you have to have people who annoy you to practice forgiveness. You can you can build your practice of like finding peace on the yoga mat, but you have to like actually carry that out into the real world where there's hustle and bustle and frustrating people and be able to learn how to practice, bring your Zen to that. I mean, I I truly believe that like our relationships are the gymnasiums for our personal growth and like everything else is instruction and inspiration and like method and how to, but it's like our personal growth and or spiritual growth uh, happen in relationship. And so it was, you know, when I had that, when I realized that we're all here and we all have to figure out how to forgive, we all have to figure out how to like love, we all have to figure out how to belong and not take things personally. I mean, all of those are things that I taught as a pastor and that as I teach as a relationship expert, and it's like I might use different uh, different research or different stories or different, um, yeah, kind of different sources to explain that. But at the end of the day, both, both were the same way of me saying our relationships matter. We, our community impacts who we are. I want to comment on that, but the one thing that came up is I really liked how you just called yourself a relationship, like an expert, and said it so um, nonchalantly. I, that was really cool. Thank you. I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Thank you. That's but, a good thing. Yeah, that that's that was interesting because, like, you're right. We can't we whether or not I want to, I can't escape being in relationship with like the world and everything. Like every time I step out of my doorway even like strangers on the street are affecting me and I'm in relationship with them to some degree. But a thing I often wonder because when I was younger and when I first got like um, overtly interested in exploring spirituality, I started getting into Buddhism and I was like super psyched on it. And I was really like, um, I don't know, like feeling really all or not. And I was very seriously considering becoming a monastic and um I'm I'm glad I decided not to because I'm enjoying the life path that I'm on. And it occurred to me recently that relationships and intimacy are 
I don't know, a really fascinating gateway into truth and exploration. But I, but I do often wonder of like the, I remember I was at a meditation retreat at this place called Spirit Rock in, in the Bay. Um, and they have this like little hut with all these like really epic teachers from throughout time and like little stories about them. And there was one lady who went in a cave and meditated for like, it was something like 18 years or something like that. And I don't know, I'm just curious, like, obviously that's an edge case, but I'm curious what you do with, like, what you personally, like, what you do with that, because I assume that she was able to tap into some sense of truth that I probably have not tapped into, and if there is a place for finding truth and investigating reality just um, between oneself and God, or whatever word a person wants to use. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I guess I would answer that by saying every spiritual, I mean, whether it's, you know, in no matter what thread of religion we look at, the spiritual leaders and founders of all of those have meditation as a pra core practice, but every single one of them comes out and uses that for the benefit of people and engages with people. To me, I would question how valuable my life would be if I just sat here and a, well, I would question whether you actually can do that much self-reflection all by yourself without without input, without seeing what rubs you, without interacting with people, without seeing what gets triggered. I mean, you really, we're limited. Most of us have blind spots and there's no way to see past those blind spots unless we have people who <laughs> give us feedback or like, like make us go, wow, why is that still bugging me? So I really would A, question, a t I mean, and I take, I take, Private. I mean, I do meditation retreats and I, I believe in solitude, undoubtedly. And yet I don't, I would question whether we could do all of our growth in that way. And for what purpose? Like, why would I want to become the most loving, peaceful, enlightened person if not for the purpose of blessing others, if not for the purpose of coming in and giving that gift and teaching and training and, and using that in a loving way and a capacity to serve in some way. So I have a really hard time I guess I would say over the long run, if I mean, at some point it has to interact in a way for me, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to discredit anybody else's experience, but everybody I know who like even has those extreme meditation things ends up coming back and saying, here's what I found and teaching something or, or using it to be a service or to open an orphanage or, you know, something. I feel like it's what's the point of just having all this enlightenment if only to be like, yay, I got enlightened, <laughs> like not have it impact the world. Okay. One thing I am curious to go into is, um, are you open to talking about your relationship with Christianity? Yeah. Um, just because I'm really fascinated in Christianity. I don't really know anything about it. And I, I'm i not super close with, I think this is true. I'm not super close with anyone who's like spiritually oriented within a Christian framework. Um, though I've been, I guess I, re I got most interested in Christianity because I started listening to Christian rock recently. Mm -hmm. And dude, <laughs> love Christian rock. It's so good. Like I was going through a challenging time and like, I just love, um, people talking about faith and trust and I can like very strongly relate to those concepts even though Jesus or the Christian uh, theology isn't something that I personally relate to and so I have a concept that Christianity is like um, there, it's like there's like a flip that's switched like either you identify as being Christian and um, I don't know the terminology but of and so feel free to correct me but of uh, being having been saved by Jesus or not identifying in that way. And I, I guess I don't know if you can like be partial. It to, anyways, it, is, that, is that accurate? And I guess the greater question maybe to house that in is, um, when did Christianity like start to call to you as a real path? 
Those are great questions. I would answer that to me, Christianity, and this is probably true. I mean, we look, we have a lot of examples in the Muslim world of this too. What happens is you have some people who start kind of taking certain beliefs or the, even the abuse of some beliefs or even misguided beliefs or something and be kind of becoming known. And that becomes like the stereotype of that religion. And so one of the really heartbreaking things for me is seeing Christianity as it's represented here in the United States, like in this era. And I have very little connection to that. And so it's, um, like, so I think in some cases we have created a version of Christianity here that's been co-opted or some people got to stand up and say, this is what Christianity is. And they have kind of created this version of Christianity that has certain social rights issues, certain, like all these different things to it that become what they think is Christian. And unfortunately, and then, it's, and I'd say it's a very, that's a very, um, that's a very version of Christianity that's very based upon these beliefs. And you have to believe this, you have to believe this to be saved. You're like, you have to believe this to be a Christian. You're, if you don't believe this about abortion, you're like, it's just very, like, there's these, it's very belief based and very like right and wrong and black and white. And I, um, and I guess I would just say like that to me does not appeal to me. That does not resonate. Um, I think there's a, I would like to believe, and I've read a lot. There's a whole bunch of people out there who are expressing a version of Christianity. That's a much more, um, experiential, a much more faith-based, a much more journey, like not a destination, not this thing about just being in heaven, but what does it impact our lives here? What does it look like to practice the way of Jesus? Um, what does it look like to be about wholeness and health and an abundant life and, and so um, it's much less based on did these things in the Bible happen or can there still be truth to them, even if they weren't, quote, real? Do we have to prove every single thing to be right or is there still learnings to be had from these stories? And so I think for me, um, I think one of the hardest things in this day and age is that the loudest voices are certainly the advertisement for Christianity. And if that appeals to you, then um, it's calling out loud and clear. To me, that does not appeal to me. And my journey has become so much broader and so much more, um, yeah, I certainly have roots. I would describe myself as somebody who has really strong Christian roots. I was raised with that. There's a lot I value. There's some practices that I maintain. And I would say that's kind of like my heritage and my my spiritual roots, uh, my spiritual heritage. I had a girlfriend who used the metaphor, and I think this is so great, of like being a spiritual immigrant, you know, so you leave a land of, in this case, leave a land of Christianity, or, you know, you leave this foreign land and you come somewhere else and you don't quite feel like you fit into this new land because you still are like that Christian. And yet at the same time, you can't go back to that Christian land and feel like you belong there either anymore. And so it's kind of, I feel like, and I, and, the, and I'm probably one of the fastest growing um, demographics in our country. There's the numbers are so high of people who would consider themselves none, you know, or who would consider themselves post-Christian or uh, having been raised Christian, but are no longer identifying in that way. And so it's a huge, huge number of people who have that heritage and are not necessarily feeling the same call to the same expression that it was modeled to us growing up, unfortunately. But I, and I shouldn't say unfortunately. I mean, I think there's a evolution happening. And unfortunately, there's a lot of judgment. I, that's, what is, that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate how much judgment there is of people on both sides. And that's the harder part. There's judgment about any worldview or uh, organized worldview or whatever. But it's, I agree, like, I think at least in the US or in the circles I'm in, like, I'm, there is obviously judgment of, let's say, like, Buddhism. 
but it's different than judgment of Christianity, which is different than judgment of Judaism or, or whatever. And yeah, I guess that's part of my curiosity is like, um, just like getting to what's underneath, what's underneath the judgment. Cause like, obviously there's good stuff underneath the judgment. And for some reason, I, at least in my spiritual investigation, I haven't been presented with like Christianity in the main mainstream spiritual uh, zeitgeist. And I don't know why that is, but it, that's why it's made me really curious to explore, explore like what, what's out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, there's so much beautiful stuff about it. It's like, there's amazing, there's some beautiful stories. There's some beautiful teachings. I mean, you take Jesus and there's like some, I mean, this is a guy who's a social activist. He's somebody who stood up for women and poor people and all the people that were outcasts and on the margins back then. Um, you've got, you know, he's somebody, you got this whole concept of Sabbath. That's this beautiful, like this resting time that we don't have to be identified with our productivity and all, all this about work, work, work and consume, consume, consume. And, and to just be enough on a day where we don't have to prove ourselves in that way. I mean, there's some really beautiful, beautiful concepts of congregations coming together and singing and being community and, and living in communal experiences and being there for each other. And I mean, there's some really, really, really beautiful practices and stories that come from Christianity, as do I think they come from every religious. I mean, I think ever since the beginning of time, humanity has been trying to figure out what does it mean to come together, have a meaningful life, have this deep core in us of like that gives us value and purpose and connects us to something bigger than ourselves. And so, yeah, there's some really, really beautiful things. I think the judgment and I, I hold curiosity with you. I think the judgment comes from, and this plays back to relationships. This happens so often. And that is that it's hard for us to hear each other without running it through our own filter of how it makes me feel about me and my choices. And so what happens is if I were to say, I don't feel this way about Christianity anymore than anybody who feels that way thinks, well, then either she's wrong or I'm wrong, like, because we both have different experiences. So therefore, like, and so she's calling me wrong. And we kind of like start this um, feeling thing. I mean, this, and this happens on friendship all the time. Like I think about examples of my sister was moving away from the Bay Area where I live. And it's impossible for her to come tell me that she's moving and for me to not run that through a filter of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be so sad. I'm going to miss you. And all of a sudden I'm feeling it about how it affects me, right? So it's hard to just keep the conversation on like, oh, you're moving. When are you moving? And how do you feel about moving? And it's hard to just let her have her experience because it immediately there's two people talking now and it immediately has the second person thinking, how do I feel about this and how is this impacting me? This happens a lot with friends where one gets a promotion or one's getting married or one's having a baby and they tell the other and the other one immediately starts being like, oh, I wish I were married or, oh, the baby, my babies were like this. And, like, and so I think that's where so much judgment comes from because we immediately see that we're having two different experiences and we either want you to have my experience or I feel bad if I don't have your experience and one of us must be wrong. And then, you know, and it's just, that's where judgment comes from because we just all want to feel like we're oh, doing a good enough job. <laughs> and if anything threatens that to make us question that, then either you must not be doing a good job or I must not be doing a good job because we all want to belong. We want to be good enough. It's heartbreaking. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I love that way of looking at things because, man, I can relate to, I remember like a long time ago, before I started exploring other worldviews, I had a, a basketball coach who was a practicing Buddhist, and I remember him explaining his worldview to me, and it was so different than mine. Exa the exact phenomenon you're talking about happened. I was like, what? No, like, 
you're wrong or I'm wrong or like, yeah, ah. yeah. we feel threatened. Like, yeah. In my book on friendtimacy, on friendship intimacy, I did a whole chapter on rejection and the research around rejection. And I think it ties into this because the research shows that no matter how healthy we are, no matter how, what personality we are, no matter how much emotional work we've done, we all feel the sting of feeling left out or feeling rejected or feeling hurt by not feeling like we belong. And, and I thought that was really interesting. So basically the only thing, and I will say on that front that what research did show is that the more we've done emotional work, the less likely we already act out of that place of rejection and the less likely we are to stay in that and like nurture those feelings. But the fact is we all feel that. And as humans at our core, core level, we need to, we need to connect. We know our survival is based upon belonging. In fact, there's a researcher out of, uh, down in Southern California who, um, this is the name of his book is escaping me. Oh, Dr. Lieberman. And he talks about how Maslow had it all wrong, that the Maslow's hierarchy of needs does not, should not have food and lodging and all these things at the bottom. We actually should have relationship at the very bottom because an an infant actually cannot get any of those needs met without a relationship that we, we we rely on relationships as the foundation, the most, the most primitive need of humanity is relationship. So anything that makes us feel like we are disconnected from that or, or, um, risking that or that we don't belong. I mean, those are really big words. And so I think anytime, and so many people think that believing the same thing is what makes us belong. So if we believe the same thing in politics, then we can belong, you know, in religion. And so, yeah, I think this is, you're hitting a really huge need that we all want to feel like we are like who we are and what we believe is enough and that we fit in. Yeah, man, that fear of rejection is such a biggie too. And I'm thinking about the, I remember seeing the triangle that you had of friendship consisting of consistency, vulnerability, and um, positivity. Gold stars. Look at you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But what I'm realizing is I, I, I became much more successful at friendships and like building my social network within the last year. And because consistency, like, uh, I sure I have a fear of rejection, but something just happened where I just like just started plowing through it and like approaching my relationships with tenacity and just like if just if I wanted wanted relationships, just being OK, putting myself out there and just like showing up. And it's a crazy thing that fear of reject, man, fear of rejection. It just I can speak for my own life, too, has held me back and I'm sure holds so many people back in like so many dimensions of having a healthy social network. Do you have suggestions of like the best way to, I don't know if it's possible to negate fear of rejection, but at least to like um, see it better or come to terms with it or? Yeah. I mean, I would say, well, and here's one interesting study on this rejection thing is there was one study done where they had a whole bunch of students standing in a, like they know they're part of a study. So we just think about these aren't even people you want to be friends with. You're not, this isn't real life. You're like part of some fake study (laughs) and they're playing a, like a hot potato game where at the end, if the hot potato, if you catch it, you know, you're not supposed to catch the hot potato at the very end when the music stops or whatever. If you have the hot potato, you owe like $10,000 or something. So there's some huge consequence to it supposedly. So you just think about these things. And you just think, A, I don't know these people. I don't care about these people. I'll never see these people again. Like B, I don't want the hot potato because there's a consequence if I have the hot potato. Like your logic would say, I don't care if they ever throw me this hot potato. And yet every single one of us standing in that circle when tested, we light up our brain center. If we, if, this, if the people running the, the little social experiment <laughs> tell everybody, 
don't throw the hot potato to Shasta as much as you throw it to each other. And so if I'm standing in that circle, my pain center in my brain and rejection, rejection lights up the same part of our brain as physical pain. So this is really interesting. The, the same way if you had a broken arm, the same place lights up as if you feel left out. And even though in a setting like that where my logic can sit there and say, I don't care if these people throw me the hot potato, the fact is I will light up the pain center in my brain being like, don't they think I can catch the hot potato? Why don't they want me in this group? Why are they leaving me out? Da, 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 da. And you immediately start, we, we are wired to want to belong. So that rejection is like core to every single thing we do. You nailed it when you said, we don't reach out a second time to somebody if we feel like we reached out last time or we did the inviting last time or we, you know, they, the ball's in their court, we say. And so we mess up the consistency by lack of fear. And when most of us don't say, I'm scared of being rejected, so I'm not going to do it again. But at the core, if we peeled back the layers, that's we're scared to like her more than we, she likes us. We're scared to seem too eager. We're, seem, we're scared to like not have them like us. Um, and then that affects the other two sides of the triangle, vulnerability and positivity, because if we're not ever actually spending time with each other, we can't feel good about it and share with each other. But if we don't, if we're scared of rejection, we're not going to want to open ourselves up and let people get to see other sides of us. And if we don't feel good about ourselves or feel accepted, we're not going to end up walking away feeling the positivity that we need. So at this core, if we are walking around licking wounds of rejection and fearful of rejection all the time, it's, it's nearly impossible to build a healthy relationship. It's almost impossible. You can even have friends around you. You can be surrounded. You can actually be accepted by them. But the chance of you feeling it and the chance of you ever being able to really receive that or participate in it is like astronomically low because you have to be able to, yeah, let that. And I guess to answer your question, the like it's valuing something else greater than the rejection. So in my case, you valued building community higher and you focused on what you would gain and you focused on what that would what you wanted for that and this vision that you had of wanting to belong and wanting to create tribe and wanting to participate in community and you value that higher than the fear of being rejected occasionally and so i think a waiting waiting something as a higher value is the is one big part of it and i'd say in the second part of it is like there is a mental game there where we can say you know what if somebody doesn't email me back that does not take away my value as a person i mean so part of it's like self-love and part of it's like knowing our worth and being like i'm an amazing person and not every single person is going to have the time or prioritize relationships right now and not every single person is going to be drawn to me and that's okay and i'm going to keep reaching out because this benefits me at the end of the day like at the end of the day i'm the one who wants relationships and so i'm going to do something about it and I'm going to put myself out there and keep inviting and know that at the end of the day I get the benefit of belonging and being in community but that takes a it takes a lot of bravery for sure yeah oh cool yeah what, uh, what would you add to um, that because you did it you're like you actually did it yeah. no for sure well for the first thing that came up is that experiment it's really funny like how mentally we can know something isn't a big deal but our body might have a totally different experience because I was just thinking when you were saying that, like, I feel rejection when I'm in a room of people and there's a cat and the cat doesn't come yeah. by or it, like, walks by me. It's like, what the hell? Like, what's wrong with me? Yes, like, yes. No, I notice I there. always feel that. Yeah. And I feel like an all-star when the cat's like, I'm the one the cat's hanging out with. I'm cool. If the cat likes me, you all should too. No, that's right. so true. And I, I, I like that concept, too, of, like, just being in touch with what a person values, like, yeah, if I value building community, like I can sit with that and be like, yes, I'm going to make my decision from that place. And that I'm finding that framework to be really helpful right now because sometimes like I have a work day ahead of me and I just like don't want to answer email. There's a part of me that's just like, I don't know, afraid to. 
And I, I noticed that that's what I've been, the way I get through that when I'm in those moods is I have a song that I put on. I listen to the same song when I'm answering email every day. And it evokes essentially the, what, what, exactly what you're talking about. It evokes like the, why I'm doing this. It evokes like my sense of purpose related to it. And so like kind of shortcuts me into choosing that value path. Um, Love it. And I guess the last, yeah, I, but I hadn't made that connection until you said that. So that was cool. And the last thing is um, I got, I got really into social experiments um, maybe like a year ago after a teacher of mine sent me a video by this guy, Jia Jang, I think his name is. Have you, he has a Ted talk about, he did a hundred day rejection. Yes. Challenge. I was just going to name that. I was just oh, going to say yeah, that's a great yeah, yeah. Ted talk. Yeah. Dude, that TED Talk is awesome. Yeah. That guy's hilarious. Yeah. But I got really inspired by that and then did a 30-day rejection challenge and then another one and then just kept doing little social experiments because it's kind of like interacting with strangers is kind of like the experiment you talked about of like, don't throw the hot potato to Mike or about the cat not coming to me. It's like, obviously, it's not a big deal if I say hello to a stranger and they don't reciprocate, but it's still scary. And so just... I've been getting really interested in like using strangers to practice just like lowering the fear response over repetition over and over. Beautiful. I teach that uh, on the triangle you referenced earlier. I teach that all relationships start on the bottom of the triangle. And as we practice positivity, consistency, and vulnerability on a regular basis, we can move some of our relationships up to the top of the triangle where we have the highest level of what I call friendtimacy, the friendship intimacy. And one of the things I'm constantly saying is that these are all muscles that we can practice. And it's kind of like what you're describing. And so we would never advocate to somebody to just go run a marathon without like training for it. We would never advocate to somebody just to like go, go risk rejection when the stakes are super, super high. But what you're talking about is so beautiful because you're kind of training. You're like lifting the five pound weights. You're saying the consequence isn't so hard. Like I'm going to go walk around the block and say hi to a stranger. And so therefore, if they don't say hi back, it's not like I it's not like I'm sitting there going to be like, oh, nobody in the whole world likes me. And you know, like, whereas at a higher level of intimacy, the rejection of certain kinds feels like a much more of a deep betrayal. And we wonder if we'll ever recover from it and stuff. So I think uh, viewing it a little bit like muscles and knowing that, and that's one of the really big things. I mean, and I love that you love spiritual growth. So I can kind of like weave this in too. And that is that when it comes to, per when it comes to physical health, we all have a very aware concept of the fact that we're going to get out of breath, we're going to get sweaty, our muscles are going to get fatigued. Like if I actually go spend a, day, a time at the gym and I'm not sore the next day, I wonder if it was like a waste of time. <laughs> like we actually understand when we start sweating, we don't go, oh my goodness, this must be bad for me. I should stop. Like we know that the sweat produces what we're in there for. Yet when it comes to our emotional and spiritual health, it's like never ceases to amaze me. And if I could like wave a magic wand, like this would be the thing as a pastor or as a, as a relationship expert that I would say, as soon as we start emotionally sweating, whatever that looks like for you, if it's like in, in initiating another get together or being the one who reaches out again, uh, we start sweating, you know, emotionally sweating and we think, oh, this must be bad. And so we pull away and think, well, I guess I shouldn't do it because it doesn't feel good. And I'm thinking, no, that's not the, that's not the right out, that's like not the right narrative to be taking from that. If anything, we should be saying, wow, I need to be practicing this more. <laughs> like this is a muscle that I need to tear a little bit in order to get it stronger. This is a muscle I have to stretch. Like to build my endurance, I actually have to go further than I'm comfortable going. And every single time I actually have to like push my edges a little bit more and lift a little bit heavier weight. And so I wish that in our in our spiritual personal growth, we had a much better concept that growth happens through awkwardness. Growth happens through our fears. Growth happens when we're in new situations, pushing ourselves a little bit further. Um, you know, I, my goal is that I should be able to, I would like to be able to say that 
if I looked at the subject of forgiveness, for example, I would want to say that I'm forgiving faster, quicker, more fully, more deeply now than I was five years ago, you know, and I want to say that five years from now, I'll be doing that more. And like, what evidence, how will I ever do that unless I'm actually challenging myself to take on bigger situations and bigger moments and moments that before I would have said, this is unforgivable. And so I think part of it is all of us are like, this is a gem. Like this is, we're all here to become better people. And the only way we really do that is by facing this tough stuff. So what you did this last year with that experimenting was you growing, you know, like you built the muscles, you did the endurance, you like did the stuff that's going to pay off for you in the long run and build you the quote spiritual body that will help serve you for these things, which I think is a beautiful thing. But I don't think we talk about stuff like that in that context well enough to normalize it. Wow, that is such a that metaphor is nothing short of super. <laughs> well, yay, like, well, share it with everybody and let's like get us on board. <laughs> yeah, I'm really digging that. And gosh, there's so many parts of that that are really cool. Like one thing I'm thinking is the feeling of being sore from lifting weights, like the feeling of itself might not be pleasant. Like if all of a sudden I just started feeling that right now without knowing why, I might be like, ah, make it stop, make it stop. But like knowing that it became because I'm like lifting or had exercised, it gives it this like um, satisfaction. Yes. To it. And you, and you know, it's normal, you know, to expect it. So you don't think I did something wrong. Like we know the difference between injury versus during, you know, versus like just stretching and building up our muscles. You know, like, so yeah, you're right. Knowing what it caused it and that it's normal, you don't have to like panic. So if we could normalize some of this, that would help. Well, and then that's interesting too. Cause yeah, there is a point where it's injury and it's like, Ooh, this like, no matter how I spin this, this doesn't feel good. And that's, hmm, cause it's a lot of what I'm thinking about too is, um, as far as like spiritual lifting, I think part of it is at least in my experience, noticing situations that feel uncomfortable and being okay, putting myself in them. Maybe it's for my greater good, or maybe I just want to, you know, flex that area of my development or whatever. And I guess I'm wondering like, what is, what's injury? Like what, um, in this metaphor, what do you think would be spiritually or spiritual or emotional injury instead of just soreness? Well, I know I talk to a ton of people. It's a great question. I talk to a ton of people who feel like they have been relationally injured and they feel fragile. They feel, um, they feel like they can't trust anybody. They, and so when you're in a moment like that, I would say that maybe turn the question around and say, what do you need to help bring healing to this place? Because it's not what we don't want is for you to go through life, never trusting anyone ever again. That's not healthy. We don't want you to stay with the injury. So what do you need to have in the, and the goal? So if I hurt my knee running, the goal isn't to then never run again. The goal is like, what do I need to do to recover my knee? And if that means taking a few months off, if it means walking instead of running, if it means building better, doing more weightlifting on my thighs to like build better stability on my knee, you know, so then we want to start asking questions. How can I run with my knee in the safest way? Or do I need, do I need to pick a different exercise and not run? But the goal isn't to just be like, see, I should never exercise again for the rest of my life. That's what that said. And what I see so many people happen is they get an injury and then they say, see, intimacy is bad or see, I, you can't trust anybody. And we kind of like, nor we kind of throw this whole thing and be like, whereas we would never do that with like, if you get an injury, that means you should not work out ever again and have like, you know, we don't do that, but we do that. And so I think the bigger question is if you feel like you've been injured, validate that. And I see that. And I, 
I, I don't want you going out and running on an injured knee, but what do we need to do? What does it look like then for you to say, what, how do I get, how do I stay in shape and do good things for my health without hurting my knee more? And, and then the goal isn't to just never ever use your knee again. The goal is to recover it and heal it so that you can use your knee again. So the goal isn't to say, take away from, and then learn this lesson that you can't trust people. For example, the goal is to like recover from this, do the work that might mean therapy. It might need forgiveness. It might mean going and looking at what your role was in that situation. It might be like, there's a process there to come back to peace and to find wholeness and to be willing to say, okay, now what can I do to protect myself going forward? You know, do I need to wear a knee brace, so to speak? Are there things that I can do to help me protect this where I prevent the chance of injury again. And, and to realize that when you're out being active, injuries happen. Like you're going to meet people and you're going to get hurt. And that's not, that's not a sign that we shouldn't be out active and playing and doing healthy things and challenging our bodies. And so, um, yeah, just really seeing the injury, not as a, as a moratorium against all relationships and people, but seeing it as like, okay, that's saying something to me that I need to slow down and take some, take something in here and focus on some healing. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. That was, that metaphor just like worked really well and it's great when metaphors work and you can like play, play it out. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe a more practical example. So in, in the friend Timothy triangle, I teach the positivity is the foundation at the bottom. And then, as I mentioned earlier, all relationships start at the bottom. But as our consistency goes up one side of the triangle, so should our vulnerability go up the other side of the triangle. And I teach that they should be incrementally escalating around the same time. So therefore, our vulnerability, meaning being defined as sharing pieces of ourselves, should never exceed the level of relationship, the level of commitment, the level of consistency or history that we have built with somebody. So we've had, I've had people who like vomit their whole life story on somebody they don't know, and then then that person never gets together with them. And then they say, see, you can't trust anybody. I was vulnerable. I opened myself up and they like, da, 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 da. They don't even care about me. Well, okay. So let's take from that and say, you know, one of the lessons we can learn isn't that we don't, can't trust anybody. One of the lessons we can learn is like, what does healthy vulnerability look like in the future? So that we're never just opening our, our entire self up to somebody we don't know very well, you know? So if we only know somebody a couple times then our level of vulnerability should reflect, you know, on a scale of one to 10, if our commitment's a three with somebody or our consistency or our history is a three, our vulnerability should be about a three. And at some point we might share a vulnerability that feels like a four, but it shouldn't feel that scary because we've shared at a three and they've responded well. And so it should never feel like this big risk where you're sharing a 10 and being like, I don't know how they're going to respond. Like this isn't jumping off the deep end. This is, you're just escalating. And so it's never that big of a risk because you've all, you've, you've, you've practiced this together, the two of you before. So when you're sharing something bigger, you've practiced, you have history of sharing smaller things so that when you're sharing the big thing, you kind of can predict how they're going to respond and it's a safer share. So part of this is that we need to, we haven't been taught. We haven't practiced well knowing what it looks like to share in a safe way. You know, the goal isn't just to go around, be vulnerable with everybody all the time and, and just be the open book to everybody. That's not appropriate. We do that in ways that feel safe. And so, yeah, protecting ourselves from the injury when possible, I think is, is helpful. What, what's your definition of intimacy? Would that be um, the thing at the top of the triangle? It would. So my definition of, of friendimacy, and I would I use that word only. It's I would say it's the same as intimacy, except we have a culture we have a culture that thinks intimacy is sex, <laughs> and so I've just had to coin another word to remind ourselves that we all need far more intimacy in our lives than romance. But friendimacy, the definition of any healthy relationship, is where both people feel seen 
S-E-E-N, in a safe and satisfying way. So anytime two people both feel seen, that's vulnerability, because in order to be seen, you have to reveal part of yourself. In a safe, that's the consistency. As we build up the history, then we build the trust and we can predict how the other person's gonna respond and we have like a track record and we've got all these memories log. And we feel seen in a safe and satisfying way. And satisfying is the positivity. We leave feeling empathized and validated and gratitude and all the good stuff that we get when we're with people. So yeah, anytime you're feeling seen in a safe and satisfying way, that is intimacy. And obviously there's different degrees of it. The goal is to be that at whatever level of relationship is healthy. And with, a, with people at the top of the triangle, hopefully that we feel seen in a lot of different ways and really deep ways. And, and hopefully that's feeling very safe and satisfying. Well, one thing I'm wondering uh, if you have an opinion on, because I've been, yeah, I've gotten really interested in intimacy recently and in the past couple months. And I completely vibe with the framework you're putting out there, particularly for like uh, long lasting relationships of just building this like deep, wide, intimate um expansive space with a friend. Uh, and I've also found that like going to like, uh, events like eye gazing events or something like I can meet someone for the first time and I don't know what's going on. Like if it's our souls that are clicking or what, but like, it feels like we drop into some intimate space that might be deeper than any friendship I have. Maybe not. I don't know. But like, um, and I, I'm not sure if, if one, you can relate to that experience of like, um, just like a really deep drop in where it feels like you're entering another world with the person, even without having established like any foundation. Um, and I'm curious, like, what do you, what do you do with that? Yeah. So I think those are special, amazing moments. I mean, I think about even like, we've all had the experience of sitting next to somebody on an airplane and having like this huge, uh, huge vulnerable conversation and we never see them again. And I'm a fan of like, I, those are to me special moments in life. And like, those are fine. If what we want though, is a, is a ongoing relationship, intimacy. If we, if we don't want just like a one night stand or a one moment of intimacy, but we actually want a relationship, then we have, even no matter how connected we feel, no matter how much love at first sight, if we use those words, if no matter how amazing it is, we still have to figure out what pattern our relationship has. And so even if you and I instantly decided we are going to be best friends, we pinky promise it, we are like, have all this chemistry, you and I still have to figure out, are we the kind of friends who talk once a week? Are we the kind of friends that fly up back and forth to see each other? Is it normal for us to go do, or do we do movies? Do we like go to church together? Like, do we talk about books? Like, we still have to figure out our pattern, right? And every relationship has its dance that they do. And and that is the what builds a friendship. So friendship is less about how much we like somebody. I mean, you and I have met so many people that you've, quote, stared into the eye. We've met so many people that we've instantly liked, but we've never seen again. And so those aren't people that we had built friendships with. And so that's not long-term intimacy. And so that would be more like in the one-night stand category if we were talking in romantic terms. And so, yeah, I think it's beautiful when we can have those, that, um, that, that desire, that aware, that awareness that there's somebody that we would love to connect with and feel that desire. But again, it doesn't, at the end of the day, when we measure healthy relationships, it matters less how you initially felt about the person and it matters more how much you practice the three requirements of relationship. And we can look at any relationship 
and basically say if there's any relationship in your life that's not feeling fulfilling, like do it backwards, any relationship that's not feeling fulfilling, we can immediately start looking and saying which one of these three, it's because one of these three is, at least one of these three is in lack in your life. And so you can say, oh, well, yeah, with so-and-so, every time we're together, we go really deep and it feels really good and we've got the vulnerability and it feels good and we like see each other and we feel affirmed and that's the positivity, but we only talk once every year. So it's the consistency piece that if we if we added that, that would make that relationship more meaningful, you know, or, or we have somebody who we see all the time, the consistency piece, and we have fun together, but we actually don't share that much about each other. And so that's a social group, but that's like, so that still serves as a purpose, but if you're really wanting an intimate relationship, we have to figure out how to increase the vulnerability between the two of us, which means asking more questions and sharing our lives with each other. And so any relationship that you want to deepen, we can look and say, which of these three things do we want to, which one needs to be increased in order to deepen that relationship. So even if you meet a girl or somebody in that situation, you still have to figure out what does consistency, positivity, and vulnerability look like, and you still have to practice those three things to build, a, to not just have the feeling, but to actually have the structure behind it. One thing that I'm like really starting to just pick up on from talking to you in this conversation is just the value of like, it seems like what you, um, the, all, all of the theory and practice you have is what builds like a sustaining, the structure for a sustainingly healthy life and just to be sustainingly like deeply nourished by relationships. Um, and so that's cool. That's like sinking in for me. So I, I'm appreciating that. Yeah. Well, and to your point, those three things would be the same things you'd want in one moment of life, even if you weren't going to have a long-term relationship. If you were at the bottom of a triangle, you still want to walk away from any interaction feeling good, which is the positivity, feeling seen for whatever purpose you were there to be seen, whether it's a support group or just one conversation at work or you don't want to be seen. And it needs to feel safe on whatever level you're at. So there needs to be some structure, that consistency piece where we both have an agreement, at least while we're in this exercise, to do this together. And that is our consistency. So even in a moment or even just a one-time thing, we still, those are the same three things that we would want present in, you know, time, how we feel, and our sharing and being seen. But certainly you're right to, to build a sustainable relationship. We have to repeat those three things over and over and over. For sure. One more thing I'm wondering about relationships is just your viewpoint on um, when it's time, if, if ever, to let go of friendship. Like, I guess that can come up in two times. Like, one might be if it just feels um negative or it's like draining me and it's not good for me and then another is i've been coming across like a philosophy in a lot of like circles of coachy self growthy type people of like surrounding yourself with um the type of people who you want to be or something to that effect and on the one hand like i think there's some real truth in that philosophy that like i i really do believe i will probably become like the people i spend my time with and on the other hand like i don't know there's something a little bit weird to me about just like dropping friends because they're not uh, where I want to be in life or something like that. Totally. Totally. Yeah, I know. And so, yeah, I, I don't know, I'm curious <laughs> where you stand on that. Oh, man, you like open up all kinds of stuff on that one for me. Yeah, I am. Um, so I am of the belief that we should that we should have healthy expectations of whatever relationship we have. So if somebody so wherever they're at on my triangle, so to speak, we'll just use that structure since we've shared it here a little bit. And so let's say we share, you know, halfway up the triangle. We So we may not share everything spiritually or emotionally or all these other things, but we are good friends. We've known each other since high school. We have a fun time together. And so like, so be aware of where different relationships are on the triangle. And I'm a very big fan that just as we can increase relationships, we can also kind of decrease them. So if we feel like, 
feel like sharing that side of like talking about my romantic relationship with that person doesn't feel it didn't feel really good last time so I probably won't do that a lot more and so just being mindful of what so that so this is somebody I will not take all the way up to the triangle so to speak because I don't feel safe sharing all of my life with them but there's somebody that I can still have over to birthday parties I like them we can go do movies we have like what we have all these friends in common and so part of it is recognizing that friendship isn't all or nothing that it doesn't mean we're friends or I need to get rid of you and so part of it is creating an awareness that just as we can kind of escalate a friendship so can we kind of uh is de-escalate the right word like kind of <laughs> kind of and then what's more important about that is then creating the healthy expectations around that relationship so I don't now expect this person to fulfill all these other things in my life I don't get mad at this person for not being spiritually available in all these other areas and I'm not upset at this person for not being enlightened or caring about uh, personality inventories or you know and so I, I take what I, I take what that person has and I don't like I create healthy expectations that's a little different than what you're asking about about yeah I'm not a fan at all of the philosophy of getting rid of people um, we are not good at first we're horrible judges most of us of actually what it is we think we want to be and what we value so you've got a lot of people who are like I should only hang out with people who make money because I want to make money and that's like while certain things are contagious and while certain hanging out with conversations with people who have make money certainly exposes us to some things and stuff like that it's very short-sighted for what we lose in our relationships based on all the other things those people brought to us um, and I and I guess the other thing I'd say maybe this comes from my pastor's heart Mike and that is that there's a lot of people who quote drain me or who quote um, don't uplift me I don't leave them feeling like oh that was just amazing and I am of the opinion that my goal in this lifetime is to know who my friends are to get as much of my needs met by those friends so that I have extra love to give to other people and that I so but I go into those relationships knowing I don't expect this person to like feed me I'm not getting on the phone call and I'm not gonna be mad at the end of the day that they talked about themselves the whole time I go into it knowing it's a ministry I go into it knowing they need love I go into it knowing I'm related to them and this is how I should, I'm, I'm choosing to stay in this relationship for that purpose I go into it knowing that uh, yeah, she's in a broken space right now, and I'm not—I don't need it to be about me. I've got three other relationships that are taking care of my heart, and I have extra. I've got the capacity in this space to let this be all about her right now, and so I—that's um, how I choose to live my life. But I do that knowing that I'm getting my heart needs met in other relationships, so that I don't need that from every single relationship, and that there's no way we're going to heal this world unless more of us are willing to show up and love and practice love and model love even when it may not be super fulfilling or super empowering and exciting and fun all the time but I have the expectations to match that so I'm not getting off the phone frustrated and upset I'm getting off the phone being like I hope she felt loved and validated and seen and I hope that that empowers her and helps bring healing and love to her life on some level so I guess I'm of the belief that um, I'd rather believe that all of us who have positive, big, open, enlightened mindsets can be more powerful in this world than shutting out everybody who doesn't isn't there yet. I think we have a more we have more opportunity to bring others to that space if we are willing to be in relationship with them than if we just all huddle together and cut out everybody who we think is unhealthy. <laughs> and I don't think that's and, and I'll just end by saying this on that front. There's a study that was done, a big study by the Today Show and the Health Magazine, I think, where they asked thousands of people uh, how many of you have a toxic friend and 84% of us said we have a toxic friend so either we're all friends with the same 16% of people who are toxic or else 
somebody else thinks we're the toxic one. Like other, so I think it's, I just come at this with a little humility at realizing it's very easy for us to all think we're the enlightened one. And we need to just cut out everybody else who's toxic or it doesn't do things perfectly. And I'm much more of the mindset that's just like, Hey, we all are doing the best we can. We all act out of unhealthy places at times. And I wouldn't want somebody to just kick me to the curb in those times or spaces. And what does it look like to stay in a relationship with people who don't act healthy and enlightened all the time? Like that's something I need to learn to practice too. And I view it as if I can practice on these people who I already know and in relationship with and the chances go up higher that I can practice it in this world with others on the political stage and the religious fights and dogmas and all that stuff, then I have a higher likelihood of being able to show that same kind of love in those spaces if I'm practicing with the people close to me. Hmm. That was good. That was <laughs> Sorry, good. You, you got the preacher in me now. I'm like, and no, then. I mean, that was, I'm, I'm, I find your, uh, the way that, or at least the way I perceive that you orient yourself uh, towards life and other people and like humanity, I find it to be incredibly refreshing of just like, I don't know, I get this sense of like a no person left behind. Like we're all humans. We're all in this together. Like, yeah, I want to elevate myself and my consciousness, but what's the point if it's leaving everyone else in the dust? And I'm just finding that to be just like such a nourishing um, way of looking at things. Oh, thank you. Well, it's a joy to talk with you. I love your curiosity and your questions and your own journey. It's beautiful. Yeah, totally. Well, Shasta, I got one more question for you. All right. Last one is um, this question I was wondering earlier in the conversation when we were talking about um, spirituality and Christianity and whatnot. And I guess I'm curious what the word um, faith means to you. Uh, and or your relationship with faith. And I'm wondering that because that word is just becoming an increasingly large word in my life. And its definition is changing very, very quickly, like every day. Um, but I'm just like, I guess right now what I relate to that word is just having faith that honestly, I think what it means to me right now is that the universe is looking out for me. Um, and so no matter like what situation I'm in, I have this trust and faith that like, not only that things are going to be okay, but that like, this is all good, good for me. Um, that's kind of the current definition I have going, but I'm, I'm really curious what that word means to you, given your own spiritual background and life experiences. No, it would be super close to that, Mike, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's a trust. I probably use the word trust more, but it's a trust that I'm okay and I'm where I'm at and I can. And for me, the way it has shifted probably is learning to trust learning to trust my body more, learning to trust me more, learning to trust like the, the voice of wisdom within, learning to trust the experiences I'm having. Yeah, it's really recognizing that um, yeah, I think we get so caught up in like needing to be at a certain arrival point and a certain belief. And yeah, just I'm, I'm very close to where yours is at. Just just being accepting, accepting of what is and accepting that it's enough and that I'm, yeah, that we're I mean, that's the message for all of us. Like, that's our number one fear is that we're not enough, right? So it's, I think, to be faithful, to be trusting is to know that we are enough. And we're con for me, it would also be that I'm connected to something that's, that's enough. Like, it's bigger than me and that that's good, too. So, but yeah. Well, Shasta, where can people find you in your work? Well, ShastaNelson.com is probably the best central place for everybody. There's a quiz on there if anybody wants to take the frentimacy quiz where you get asked questions on how you how you show up with those three areas of your life and your friendships, and it will give you a score to see which is the area that you could probably work on the most, which muscle needs to be built up the most. So yeah, that would be a fun place. And I, you can also see I do travel circles and retreats and that sort of stuff through that website. And 
I speak and teach and train, and that's all on that website. And then we also have uh, my books are on that website. And then girlfriendcircles.com is for any women. Unfortunately, I, we didn't even get into how passionate I am about men's friendships and why we need more intimacy between men. But uh, unfortunately, my website right now is just for women, but for a safe place for women to foster and make new friends and stuff. And that's Girlfriend Circles. Hmm, cool. I will post links to those below. And yeah, well, at the very least, I am a torchbearer for uh, male intimacy and male friendship. I love so that. I'll, I love that. I'll spread that. that message. I love that. Well, gosh, Shasta, thank you so much. I'm incredibly appreciative that you gave your time and energy to talk with me. And I am I really appreciate your energy. You have such an uplifting vibe. And I like your charisma. And I like your mission. Aww. And um, very open-hearted, too. Oh, thank you. Well, I am sim- same, Mike. I just have, have never met you. But you have this beautiful curiosity, very non-judgmental expression in this world and I love that you're going through and wanting to not only learn and grow yourself but then like offer it to others and to bring other people on the journey thank you for being somebody in the world doing that we need may your tribe increase hey friends thank you for tuning in I hope you got something out of this episode I know that I sure had a blast with it if you enjoy this podcast please head over to iTunes and give it a five star rating I'm offering an exchange right now where if it feels in alignment for you to give this podcast five stars, then send me a message on Facebook, let me know you did it, and then I'll sit down, take some time to grok your profile, and I will write you a thoughtful and sincere compliment. Truly, please take me up on it. And if this episode touched on something you think a friend might find titillating, pass it on to them too. And I just want to say, I bring my utmost sincerity to each of these conversations, and I really do want to spread vibes and information that cause people to reflect and deepen and just live a more honest, kind, and vivacious life. Because I really believe that the state of the world needs everything that we can give it. It needs people to be at full capacity. It needs people to be living their life fully and giving their greatest positive impact to humanity. And so if I can just flick over one domino with this podcast that flicks over a couple more that lead people into living their life fully and giving back to the earth, then by Jove, man, I will be a happy dude. So trying to do my part here and any help, love, and support, I would just so greatly appreciate. And at the very least, I am super appreciated that you listened to this episode and much love, folks. I'll see you next time.